Um, so let's read from Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Uh, for today's uh, talk, I do want to just before we start, just um, I, I do want to say that there are going to be some sensitive issues that might pop up today, uh, some things that uh, might trigger you. Uh, hopefully it won't, um, but you know I want to preach the word of God faithfully. You know I'm thankful that it's not just it's not Mikey telling you um, what I think. It's what the Bible says and what God uh, thinks. And so you know I just want to keep that in mind as we go through this. Uh, it is it is a difficult difficult passage, um, but God wants us to hear from it and God wants to teach us something through it. So I just want to say that first before we start. Um, but let's get into it. Yeah, let's pray. Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that uh, it is your word and that you uh, want us to hear you speak to us. And so today, as we go through Malachi, Lord, you'll uh, remind us about your faithfulness to us, but you'll also um, um, move our hearts to want to be faithful to you and faithful to one another. And so as we uh, go through today in Malachi chapter 2, uh, I pray, yeah, you'll be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what song defined you? What song defined your generation as you were growing up? For me, I grew up, I was born in the 80s, and in the 90s, you know, that's when I really got into music. If you remember anything in the 90s, you will remember um, that song, I Swear by All For One. Who knows that song? Please, everyone should raise their hand. Oh my goodness. I Swear by All For One. No. Uh, you have to YouTube it later. It's, it's, it's a classic R&B, you know, old school song, all about, you know, uh, I swear by the moon and the stars, I'll be yours, you know, I'll be there forever, all that sort of stuff. Uh, how about, um, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. Yep, yep, some nods there. Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Yep, classic songs about love, about being there forever for someone. It's, they're beautiful, right? And, and you pair that up with the 90s, and what happened in the 90s, you've got Disney movies telling you that there's a happily ever after, you know, and, and there's a commitment forever between two people. And all that, all that love and all that stuff, that's, there's this loyalty, there's this foreverness to it, and that, that defined my generation growing up. That's how I saw love. Now, I was looking up songs about our generation 
now, in, in the 2000s and, and recently, and um, there's a song I came across, and these are the lyrics. It goes like this. You can guess it later on. Just hear it out. Nice to meet you. Where you been? I could show you incredible things. Magic, madness, heaven, sin. Saw you there, and I thought, saw you there, and I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, look at that face. You look like my next mistake. Loves a game. Want to play? Hey, so it's going to be forever chorus, or, or it's going to go down in flames. Uh, you can tell me when it's over, if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane, because you know I love the players, and you love the game, right? Eunice is giggling, because she loves this song. Um, do you guys know it? It's always on the radio, right? Blank space, thank you. Tay Tay, Taylor Swift. Um, now think about it, loves the game, she says. And pair that music up of our generation with stuff like uh, what's on TV? Not, not so much Disney movies, it's The Bachelor, and Married at First Sight, and Love Island, and Farmer Wants a Wife, and a bunch of reality trash TV that tells us there is this thing that possibly could be love out there in this artificial environment, and it's all set up, and whatever, whatever. But how should we define love? I mean, is this what love is in our generation? It, it's quite sad, isn't it? But more importantly, as the church, as God's people, how do we define love? How do we define love in relationships, particularly, as God's people? How does our faith in God determine how we should show uh, faithfulness to one another as well? For many of us um, in this room, we might not be married. Some of us are. Uh, some of us are dating. Some of us are in relationships, yes. And some of us are even engaged, which is great. Um, but we want to get a rich understanding of God's love for us, his commitment and covenant to us, that builds a solid foundation to how we see relationships in our lives. We want to see how we treat one another and how we approach relationships and marriage, whether it's our own marriage or how we can, even if we're single here, how we can support our friends who are married as well. And, and I know you might be thinking, oh, this is the Sunday, you know, this is not relevant to me. Relationships, marriage, you know, I'm happily single and, and that's all good. Um, but we do need to get a good grip of this because at some point it's going to cross our minds, isn't it? And we've got to think about how do we honor God in our relationships, whether we're single, ready to mingle, or already married. The word from God uh, is really relevant to all of us. And God has something to say about the people uh, in Malachi's day. that were, uh, They were disconnecting from God, and it was really seen and evident in the way that they treated one another. They were disconnecting from one another as well, particularly in the marriage covenant, their commitments to one another. Uh, and, and so God here, he says, this matters. It matters to him. Uh, and if we're Christians here today, it should matter to us as well. Uh, remember, the context is important. I mentioned it earlier. We're in Old Testament. Israel, God's people, were his treasured possession. He talks about in chapter 1 how he has always loved them and continues, continues to love them. Um, but they're not living as if they were God's people. They're going astray from God. They're going uh, to worship other things. Uh, they give God their uh, their leftovers. If you remember last week, we talked about sacrifice and how they give God their leftovers and really approach God half-heartedly. God continues to instruct them. And here he even rebukes them regarding their relationships. They're drifting away from God and seen in the way that they drift apart from one another. So uh, follow along in your Bibles. Verse 10, chapter 1, that was read. Let's read it again. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being un? faithful to one another. God establishes first his relationship with him. We as a people of God get to call God our father and our creator. He has made us through power and he knows us and loves us intimately. 
right? So he's powerful and he's personal. Uh, this God also says, you know, he's made a covenant. Israel are his people in this time of history, and God has made a special promise to them, this covenant. That's what a covenant is, like a special promise, this gracious saving promise that they'll be a blessed people. God has committed himself to them. And he says the forefathers of Israel have also committed themselves to God. It's a big uh, word, this idea of covenant. We use it in marriage, a marriage covenant. Uh, later this year, um, Andrew and Rachel are going to be getting married. They're going to be going, getting into a marriage covenant in December, right? And so this is going to be a beautiful moment where they're going to be making promises to each other. And that's the covenant they'll be making with one another. And God is saying that here. God has pledged himself to Israel. Israel is his bride. God's people are his bride. And the Bible again and again shows us this covenant God who pursues and is committed to his treasured people. He loves his people. And that what makes God unique is that he initiates and he instigates his covenant. He moves towards his people. Uh, and, and, and he says, come back to the Father. Don't you know that I am your Father, your Creator? Yet in sin, what's happened is that they've drifted away from God. They've drifted away in sin where they follow their own hearts. And our default is, is that, isn't it? That we'd uh, follow our own hearts rather than follow the heart of God. Follow what he desires for us. And that's in humanity, hey, the, slowly, the slow drift from loving God, the God who first loved us. This is what unfaithfulness looks like. It's seen in our selfishness. It's seen in our pride that we don't need God, that God isn't worthy to be the one on the throne over our lives or to be at the center of our lives. And the consequences? God says, he gets, he gets specific, the consequences are we're going to drift away from each other as well, and we're going to be unfaithful. Here's the, the first thing he wants to say is there's a call to faithfulness, isn't there? But secondly, God discusses how their unfaithfulness is going to be seen in their marriage relationships, is actually seen in their marriage relationships. We're going to see this exposed in two ways. Uh, one, it's in who they marry, and second, it's in how they treat their spouses as well. So here, the, verse 11 says this, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. These are, these are harsh words. These are condemning words. We've got to understand what's going on here. So Judah, it's another name for Israel, okay? So don't get too confused. Judah is Israel in this context. They've been unfaithful. How? They've married women who worship foreign gods. Again, this, is, this can be sensitive to many people here. There are, uh, are people in this room who are uh, single and single for a long time and they wish to get married and they haven't met that right person to marry. People who are, uh, who are dating, people who are looking forward to getting married one day, people who are married, people who even have been divorced. How does God call us to view marriage? How should we approach it? Can I start first by emphasizing if we truly trust God, if we truly know God as our loving Father, as our sovereign creator, we should also trust that he wants the best for us. Let me start with that. He wants us to flourish. He desires us to flourish in life and in marriage. And like Israel, if, if truly knowing his saving love for us, if we truly worship God, we'll see that what he desires is for our good and for his glory. And though it might be hard to, to digest some of this uh, and that sacrifices might even need to be made, there'll be a deep recognition as well an acknowledgement that he is worthy of it our whole lives. And so God says Judah has been unfaithful. They've married women 
who worship a foreign god. Now, note this isn't about race. <laughs> it's that, you know, that, um, you know, just because they're not Israelite, that they've been unfaithful. It's, you know, if you go through the Bible, there's a lot of instances of that where that happens, actually. And there's even a book called Ruth, about the story of Ruth. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Moabite. She came into the saving faith, knowledge of God, and those promises were for her, for her as well, that covenant. She became part of the covenant people. Here in Malachi, God opposes when Israel marries women that worship other gods. It's not about interracial. It's about religion. Why is this an issue? It's a big issue because what happens is God says, there is only one God worthy of worship. That's him. Isn't that the first commandment that we read uh, in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods. God commands his people, Israel, not to marry people of other tribes because what they do is they bring their foreign gods into the marriage bed. Uh, this isn't about, you know, this is about the gods they worship. And you, you, we're talking about ancient Near East cultures here, right? So all the tribes around them, they worshiped, they worshiped multiple gods. It was commonplace. Worship the god of the sky and of the harvest and fertility and all that sort of stuff, different gods. And so God knows there are dangers. When you marry people of different uh, religion, those religions, those gods come into your marriage as well. And Israel should know the dangers of that. If we go look at Israel's history, they had a great king once. His name was King Solomon. He was a wise king, one of the wisest kings in Israel's history. He fell into this very trap. He married women, many women, uh, who worshipped many gods. And he fell from, his, from greatness. He was unfaithful to God because of that. He desired and worshipped uh, women and their gods over worshipping the one true God of Israel. You see, what, why is God saying this clearly? Um, that's why God is saying this clearly in Malachi. Who they married was an act of faith. It was an act of worship. Who they marry matters to God. God wants their hearts. And he calls them to draw near to him, above all. So marry women who are also fear and love and worship God. You know, this is, this is, what, uh, this is in the context of what we heard last week, isn't it? It follows on from this idea of, of sacrifice. Bring before God your everything. This idea, I know, is um, uncomfortable for, for many of us here, you know, but it's not an idea just reserved for Israel. As we look at the New Testament, as we think about God's people as Christians, saved by Christ, who worship and believe in the same one true covenant God of the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's easy to dismiss this, isn't it? This is just God saying something to Israel. Uh, the people back then had pagan religions. They worshipped all these gods. But today, you know, generally most people around us, agnostic, atheist, you know, it doesn't apply to us. But this principle is for the covenant community, as well, for us as well, the church, for you and for me. We might, be not, we might not be surrounded by a plethora of, of pagan gods like they were back then, but we are surrounded by secularism, the gods of money and comfort and security, gods that society worship that are far different from the God of the Bible, the one that we call Father and Creator. See, Jesus has gathered us to be his people, and cov a covenant people, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so when it comes to marriage, well, this is actually assumed in the Bible, in the New Testament as well, that we marry people, uh, the same people within the same covenant, the same covenant people. It's expected, and as far as I, I go as far as to say it's, it's even commanded of God's people. And so you look at 1 Corinthians 7. This is a good chapter to read in your spare time as well. There's a verse where Paul's talking about widows, people who have lost their husbands and their freedom to remarry. And I've got this on the screen for us. It's 1 Corinthians 7.39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. He must belong to the Lord. 
See, the church back then in, in Paul's time, as he wrote to the Corinthians, the church was a mix of Israelites and Gentiles, people who weren't from Israel. Right? So different, again, races, uh, ethnicities. Um, but it wasn't about that as long as they married someone who belonged to the Lord. We have to remember that God is our Father. Okay? Let's keep remembering that. He wants the best for us. He wants our lives and our marriages to flourish. And he knows if he's at the center of our lives and our lives revolve around him, then so should our marriages, like everything else. We can't compartmentalize our lives. God can't just be, okay, he's at the center of my work. Yeah, sure. He's at the center of, of my money. He's at the center of my, of my Sundays and my church life, and I'll give him that on Sundays. But you know what? My marriage, I'm going to keep that for myself. I'm not going to let God be at the center of that. We can't do that. God is either Lord of all or not at all. And while we might think of, uh, think of our world and, and you know, that, that uh, it's very different to Old Testament Israel, you know, the idea of love and grace, the idea of who this God is, is still the same. And, we look, and, and, and the people around us are still going to be different. They're going to have different values, won't they? They won't know the God who's one of grace, one of forgiveness, one of humility, that drives us to humility, grace, and forgiveness. God calls us to draw near to him. And as we draw near to him, we want to draw near to one another who will honor God alongside us. Let's be frank. If, if your heart belongs to Jesus, where will your heart be drawn to? Won't your hearts be drawn to Jesus, closer to Jesus day by day? And if you want to draw nearer to God and if your spouse isn't with you on that journey, aren't you just drawing further away from your spouse? If you draw nearer to your spouse, you're going to draw further away from God, aren't you? And I know it's never that simple, it's never that black and white in many, in many ways, but usually it's, it's a slow drift. It happens over time. And, I, and I've been around long enough for, you know, in churches to see this happen. And friends, as your pastor, I, I love you, and I want to see you flourish. I want to see, see your lives flourish. And I want you to see this truth that God wants for you and for me. What if we could have a marriage a relationship that draws near to God together? What if we could rewrite our love songs under God and let God define our marriage? One where we're both anchored in God in the hard times. That we'll be able to weather any storm and the vows that you make, you know, they're rock solid because you've made them together before God as your witness. A marriage where you can find strength as you point each other to Jesus. One where you can actually pray for each other in humility, because you know God is trustworthy and good to you both. One way you can walk together and, and, and fix your eyes on Jesus, not just on each other, but together, walking forward. Don't you want that? What a vision to have. What a wonderful covenant marriage that would be. And isn't that what a flourishing faith and a flourishing marriage, isn't that what it would look like? Friends, how can we be faithful? It's pursuing a marriage with someone who shares the same faith with you and worships, worships God with you. And this is only going to be something you desire, a command you'd want to follow if you truly believe God is the loving Father who you trust with everything. When you believe He truly wants you to flourish, when you think He's worthy of your whole life, who you marry is an act of faith and worship. And friends, as hard as this might be to hear, God's will for you and for me is that we marry a believer if you are a believer. Judah was being unfaithful, and the message is crystal clear. And while I'm on this topic, let's talk about dating, because I know there's a fair few of us here who are in that age range where we're thinking about dating. 
the temptation is to, neg- uh, to negotiate. We want to make compromises. We want to we flirt to convert. We want to do that missionary dating. But I think this isn't something God compromises on. Compromise leads to unfaithfulness. While God is clear about marriage, the Bible doesn't talk about dating, does it? Yet if it's true that he desires us to be married to a believer, then wouldn't it be wise for us to consider that in who we date, in who we hope to marry? There's no guarantee, right, that when we flirt to convert or missionary date, that the other will truly come to a saving faith in God. It's not up to us to convert people. We might be an influence, yeah, sure, we might be an instrument in that, but, you know, God is going to change hearts, not us. We need to have wisdom as we consider who we date and how we approach dating, with marriage in sight. And I know that we have this culture of hooking up, of dating, right? Uh, and hooking up just to, just to have sex and just to have a one-night stand. You know, sometimes people use Tinder for that very reason. Um, there are some who are players, serial daters, but most of us, right, who are looking forward for a committed relationship. Whether you want to use Tinder or Coffee Meets Bagel or whatever, get a friend to introduce you, right, to another single person, don't we all see dating, generally, don't we all see dating as an opportunity to find who we're compatible with? Who uh, we possibly want to see dating, right, as a stage, that stage, as a, a preview even into marriage. Don't we all do that for that reason? We want to see that compatibility. Someone who we can share life with and click with and have chemistry with. And if we're a Christian who worships Jesus, shouldn't the very first thing on our compatibility list, shouldn't it be someone who shares the same love for your God? Isn't that what dating should aim for? The possibility of marriage. You see, the danger is we compromise when God isn't enough. We want our emotional needs met. We want our physical needs met. We want intimacy. We want someone to hug. And while God wants our hearts, we give our hearts to that guy or girl who doesn't love God. And while God calls us to draw near to him, we respond with God, actually, you're not enough. I'm going to have my needs met by someone else. Friends, we can't fall into the, into the blank space. I don't know if that works there. But into the blank space of Taylor Swift, right? We, where you just, we're, we're just in it for the game. But have an attitude uh, towards dating that leads you to consider, who does God want me to be with? Not simply who's going to fulfill my sexual satisfaction and comfort. But who's going to be a lifelong partner with me, who will walk with me to love Jesus more? And it's not enough that your spouse just says, hey, I'll accept your faith, that's for you, and I'll have mine. It's not enough that they say they'll support you, but not love your God, because they won't truly understand your struggles. They won't truly know how to support you. Yeah, the, comp- the compromise is tempting. We all, want that, we all want to be that exception and say, no, I'm stronger than that. My faith is stronger than that. My partner can do whatever they want, but I'm stronger than that. But, you know, it's not even necessarily about that. It's ultimately about worship. Who will be at the center of worship? God or your spouse? Friends, if you do truly trust God and you desire to be faithful, consider who you marry. Be wise, be patient. God wants you to flourish. He wants the best for us. You know what? If you're single, let me just say this. Look around. (laughs) There are some God-fearing men and women in this room. Don't blush and get all shy. You know, I'll be your wingman. It'll be cool. Chat to me, all right? But hey, you know, if you feel called to be single as well, I mean, that's a beautiful thing as well. God, God says it's, you know, it's a gift that you can use to serve him. Be content and use your singleness for the glory of God. You can honor him in your singleness. That's a great gift as well. For those who are already married your spouse, and your spouse isn't a believer, that happens as well. Stay married. 
honor God in your marriage. Don't, don't divorce just because your partner's not. Uh, you're already married. Be an example to them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Point them to Jesus. That's your ministry. That's your ministry that God has given to you. You're the channel by which your married spouse uh, is, is going to meet and see Christ. And in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, that we read earlier, he says in that passage, you've got to read it yourself, he says, don't divorce, be an example of grace and God's love to that person. You know, because during that time, people were becoming Christians already married, right? but their partners weren't, their husbands or wives weren't. Now, that's just a quick note on that, but God says as well, let's keep going. Now, you know, he says, they've been unfaithful to him in that they've been marrying those who are unbelievers, but also being unfaithful to their current spouses. Verse 13, let's keep reading. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God see? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. Be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful. This is a difficult topic, isn't it? It's heavy. God has high standards of marriage. God is saying that there are those who come to the temple and they're begging God. They're asking, they're wondering why their prayers aren't being answered. They flood the altar with tears, right? They're, they're, they're weeping, but God says, why would he respond to their prayers when they aren't even faithful to their, uh, to their covenant marriage? And in the same way, God is cutting them off because they've cut their wives off, he says. They've abandoned their wives for other women and in doing so have spat in God's face. And God's saying, uh, the faithfulness to your spouse, again, is an act of worship. Yet they'd still come to God. They'd still come to God expecting that their offerings will be accepted, that hoping God will hear their prayers. It's a hypocrisy. It's a manipulation of God trying to earn favor while taking his love and his grace for granted. He's saying the promises or vows you made in your marriage covenant was just lip service. Aren't you coming to God in the same way with just lip service too? God says, God says, you've made a covenant before me. You've made a covenant with your wife of your youth, yet you're being unfaithful to your wife. You made that vow before God, yet you've broken your vows. And so you've broken covenant with God. I like how he includes this little note about how he wants the best for us. We belong to God. We're, you know, we're, we're created by God. And he adds this little bit here. What does he desire? Godly offspring. It's sort of cute, right? It's like my parents who want me to have kids. God doesn't want us to just have kids, though. He wants to have kids who will be raised as godly kids in the Lord. You see, if we walk with our spouses and we honor God together, we flourish. And the plan for us is to have a godly family too, a godly nation to make him known in our world. See, he's faithful to us and he calls us to be faithful in our relationships for our good and for his glory. God is all about the family. Yeah, and I know it's, it's something lost in our generation, our individualistic generation. There's a pattern, though, in the New Testament when you read it, that when individuals became Christians, generally their whole family would come to faith and get baptized as well. God cares about the whole family. He's not calling just an individual. He calls a family unit. He loves the family. And he doesn't want us as parents to raise pagan kids, does he? He wants us to raise our kids to know and love Jesus. And when we do that, we have them included into this covenant family here. For that to happen, 
It requires parents who are in a faithful covenant marriage with one another. God warns the people, be on guard, be on guard with your faithfulness. Strive for it for the sake of your family and your children so you can flourish in life and in marriage. Now we've got to talk about divorce because it comes up here. There's a warning to those who break covenant and seek divorce. The man who hates his wife divorces does violence to the one who he is to protect. It's really full on here. God is saying you're being violent towards the one you vow to love when you divorce. Now let me first say this. I know that there are churches out there and they'll say, they'll say really unhelpful things about divorce. God hates divorce and never divorce. You know, if, if there's bad things happening in your marriage, just suck it up and deal with it. Even if there's abuse, just suck it up. I hate hearing that. And I think it's so unbiblical, it's so inaccurate of what the Bible's saying about divorce. Yes, God has a high view of marriage. He doesn't desire for us to get divorced. He doesn't want that to happen. In this context, he's saying he hates divorce in the sense of a no-fault, groundless divorce, right? When there's no reason to divorce and you just do it. That's when he hates divorce, here, in this context. When human, you know, and what happens with divorce? Humans hurt each other. Uh, what happens in marriages, sorry, he, humans hurt each other sometimes. And so God does allow for divorce in the Bible. He's given grounds for divorce to protect us. Men and women who are in unfaithful marriages. What is here in Malachi, again, is that they've broken covenant with their spouse by chasing after, like in this no-fault groundless divorce. Uh, no reason to divorce except that they found another lover or they're bored or whatever it is. They broke the covenant and their vows. Again, it's just lip service. Here God is saying, if you're divorcing without any grounds for it, you hate your wife. You've even done violence to her. It's an act of unfaithfulness. It's really heavy language. He has a high view of marriage. But I do want us to see where there are grounds for divorce, just so we all know uh, if it ever comes up or if you have people around you that you need to walk with uh, during these hard times. When this happens in our church, for me personally, you know, I, I want to help couples. I want to help them forgive, to restore, to reconcile. I desire couples, 100%, try everything you can. Couples therapy. Talk about it. Work through it. Work through the pain. Work through repentance. And work through forgiveness. But there are times that divorce, 100%, should be a proper and right avenue. There are so many hurts in marriages. And God wants to protect wives and husbands and so he allows for it. So come with me to, Ma uh, to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is talking about divorce here. He says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Right? The no grounds divorce. This is the, you know, this is me. This is my note. <laughs> haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, haven't he, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there are no, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Next. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man given his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? But Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Jesus has a high view of marriage, doesn't he? But they're trying to get, call him out and say, you know, there's this you know, thing in, the, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 24 where Moses gives this law that men can divorce, right? Their wives. But God does that because he's actually protecting them from their hard hearts because there's, 
there's something bad in that marriage where God is aware of their sin and says, no, divorce is permissible. There's an unfaithfulness in that marriage. That's what Moses is talking about. That's what the law is talking about. And Jesus is reiterating that. They're hard hearts. Divorce happens because people are sinful. Marital unfaithfulness happens. None of us are perfect. And so Jesus thinks, Jesus says there's grounds for divorce. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 7 too, Paul explains it. I've got this as well for us. Just one verse, I think it is. Verse 15. Should be, yep, 7.15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, when we read that, we've got to understand what does it mean to leave? It's this idea of deserting the other person or abandoning the other person. There's grounds for divorce in that situation, right? And so I want to read that word leaving or abandonment very broadly. God loves his children. He loves husbands and he loves wives. But if there's any form of abandonment, and I'm going to use the word abuse now, if there's any form of abuse in a relationship, physical, emotional, even spiritual abuse, if a spouse feels trapped, imprisoned in their own home, that is abandonment. You've abandoned your vows. There's a breaking of covenant. And I have no problem as your pastor to say that if this is happening, I will be recommending divorce. And I hate to see that. Sure, repentance, forgiveness, work through as much as you can. But if abuse continues, yes, divorce. God wants to protect the one who's being abused. The one who's been abandoned. Oh, friends, I, this is so, such a sensitive issue, but it's so serious. Because there are too many relationships, even so-called Christian relationships in churches, where this is happening. And it's not right. It's not only being unfaithful to your spouse, it's an unfaithfulness to God. It's a downright wrong. And if this is you, repent, please. If you're a victim of this, please talk to someone. If you're a witness of this, please do something. Talk to me, talk to one of the leaders here. This can't be tolerated. Man, you're called to be protectors of your wife. See, that's a lofty and high and, and, and a privileged, God-given responsibility to be husbands as God designed you to be. Don't be a jerk. I'm saying this to men because it's generally a higher percentage of men. Protect your wives. Love and lead your wives to Jesus in your sacrifice and in your own godliness. If you're struggling in marriage, if you're struggling in marriage and there is no abuse, there's no infidelity. You just don't feel in love anymore. Can I plead with you? Please start first with God. Come back to God. God doesn't desire anyone to get divorced if, if you've made a marriage covenant. You might need to work on your romance and your, your intimacy, but work at it. Work at your relationship with God first. This is, I know, very hard in our culture and society today. Right, we have this grounds, this, this no-fault divorce. It's the easy way out. You don't need any reason, no wrongdoing in the marriage. You can just sign some papers if you just don't feel it anymore. This is, I, I looked this up. It was introduced in Australia in 1975, and since then, divorce rates skyrocketed. And it might be for good reason. Great, you know, if you are in a, uh, if you feel, you know, if you are in one of those relationships, those bad relationships, you should. But if it's just for no grounds, we've got to really consider that as a Christian, right? 
And, and uh, today, the divorce rates aren't actually that high because people aren't actually choosing to get married as much. They're choosing just to live in, in de facto relationships and all that. But honor God in your marriage. Stick with it. We need to be realistic. Going to marriage isn't going to be like the Disney movies or the, the I swear all for one songs. The reality is marriage is going to be hard work. We need to work out reconciliation and, and restoration. We need to work out our humility, admission and confession of sin, forgiveness and honesty. We need to communicate well. You know, sinner plus sinner in a marriage doesn't mean perfection, does it? It means there'll be sin in the marriage. And men, I know many of us, we don't want to f- share our feelings. We want, to, you know, we want to be distant, we want to stay strong, but that's not strong when, when you're struggling inside. You need to communicate that. We need to build stronger marriages and be vulnerable with our wives. Wives, we need to respect our husbands, and husbands, you need to respect your wives too. Lead sacrificially, putting your pride aside. And I know it's hard to respect our husbands sometimes if you're a wife, because it can you know, frustrate you and they disappoint you, but we need to patiently encourage each other. To have a marriage that flourishes, a husband and wife, you need to point each other to Jesus. You are not going to be their Messiah. You are not going to be their Savior. But you can point each other to the Savior, can't you? You can pray for each other. You can let the Bible, the Word of God, speak into each other's lives to guide you both. Honestly, there will be times when your marriage covenant will be broken. Times where you won't stick to your vows. Times where you'll disrespect the other person and selfishness and pride will lead you to sin. And there'll be need for repentance and forgiveness. Neither party is perfect. I often hear couples say that we've, we've changed in marriage. We're different people or we've fall, fallen out of love. You know, of course you're going to change. You grow up and you mature and you go through new experiences that mold you. Of course you're going to change. Even in marriage, you're going to change. If you ask Heidi what I was like when she first married me, man, I'm a completely different person. Well, not, I'm very different, right? I used to be extroverted. Wow. You know, and she loved that about me. I used to listen to hip-hop a lot, a lot more. Now I listen to Indian chill music because that's all I can handle. And she's like, wow, you've changed, man. But, you know, she, we, we, we're different people, but we both love the same God. And that's what keeps us married. Where friends, love needs to, begins, needs to begin with God's love. And there can be so much healing and restoration in, a, in our relationships when both spouses in a marriage have the same foundation of selfless, selfless and sacrificial love. Honestly, couples have a better chance of lifelong marriage when God is at the center. Because he desires for us to flourish. Divorce is a horrible thing. I don't want to be naive. I know that divorce is complicated. It's not black and white. It's really difficult to navigate through. But we can all agree it tears people apart. We can all agree it leaves scars. What if we could turn to God together in our marriages? Turn to the one who is perfectly faithful to us and hasn't broken covenant with us, the one we call Father, the one who calls us to draw near. Friends, God wants us to be faithful to him. And in doing so, we can be faithful to one another. You know, hear me out here. Ultimately, marriage isn't about you or me. Marriage is about God. It's about how your marriage reflects God's faithfulness to us, His covenant love to us. That's the foundation. 
And when we keep looking at Jesus together, we can have marriages that flourish as God intended and designed. We can have marriages that do confession and forgiveness well. Marriages that start with a real look at ourselves, at our own hearts, and know that we're not perfect as we enter into this marriage. We need Jesus. If you want your marriage to flourish, look first at God's unconditional covenant love for you. Center upon that love. Let that overflow into your relationships. Let that shape your relationships for God's glory and our good. Before I finish, I want to add briefly some clarifications on this, right? Dispel some myths about the church and how we view marriage and divorce. First thing I want to say, lifelong marriage, yes, it is a good gift from God, but sometimes divorce happens. Sometimes it happens in our family. Sometimes it happens to us. It happens in our church. As, as a church, though, we're not gonna, we don't want to treat anyone differently because of it. If you have been divorced, you're not second class here. You and I, no one here is perfect in any area of life. Those who are single, those who are dating, those who are married, those who are divorced. We don't want anyone to feel excluded or different just because you've gone through it. Jesus' death on a cross shows us God's love for us and our forgiveness for sin. None of us are perfect. So whether you're happily married or not, we can't look down on anyone. That includes those who are single. We can't look down on people who are single. Singleness is a gift from God to God. We can use our singleness to honor God, and we're not any less if we are single. So don't feel any less if you are single here. We, we want to love because God loved us, and you're part of this greater family. You might be looking for a family, but you have this church family here who wants to love you too. We're all part of that. None of us should be included in this family, but by God's grace, by, his God, by, by Christ's blood on the cross, we're all included into this larger covenant family. We all have to be thankful for that. You see, perfect marriage and perfect kids, it doesn't make you a better Christian, does it? It doesn't even exist, it's ridiculous to say. But what makes us a Christian is our faith in God's love for us and responding in love to God and to those around us. And yes, if we are married, God does care about our marriages. But more importantly, God cares about your heart towards Him. God wants us to draw near to Him. He creates us to know Him and love Him first, to have a deep, committed relationship with Him, not just in this life, but for eternity. You know, marriages, they're just momentary. They don't last forever. You know, in your vows, often you say, till death do us part, because in heaven you're not going to be married. You'll be married to God. That's all you'll need. Make the most of your marriage today. Make the most of honoring God with your marriage today. Come into God's covenant love. Let that be the anchor for your souls, the foundation of your relationships. And lastly, if you're not a Christian here today, or if you're really struggling to see how this is applicable to you, you feel super uncomfortable after hearing all this stuff, I totally get that. See, the world around us and society tells us marriage isn't about that traditional conservative stuff anymore, those conservative values. It's about me. Me, myself, and I, what's best for me in this moment? You see, life is short, so I should marry whomever I wish. And if it doesn't work, try again. As long as they meet my needs, I'm satisfied. And that is so true. I mean, I see it all around me. But can I ask you to consider, if God is God, and if God is our, could be our compass in life, what if he could be our compass to our relationships as well? What if the message of the gospel that Christ selflessly gave himself up for his bride, the church, for you and for me, 
so we could know his covenant love, what if that drove our relationships? I wonder, what if love wasn't about a game to be played, or the highs of sex, or having a spouse that will meet all our physical and emotional needs? What if marriage is more than, more than a series of transactions and feelings, but instead began with a covenant, a deep commitment and selflessness? Well, it'd be a bit like the relationship God has with us, wouldn't it? And man, wouldn't that change the game completely? Malachi today teaches us, if we know God's love and have faith in God's covenant promises, in his faithfulness, if we trust that and live by it, it leads to faithfulness in our relationships and marriages that honor God. Faith in his faithfulness leads us to be faithful people. Let's pray. Father, your love for us is truly amazing. Thank you that you model to us what faithfulness looks like in your covenantal love. You are trustworthy, you're worthy of worship, you're worthy of our whole lives. And we pray, Lord, you'll grant us faithfulness in our relationship. Help us by your spirit. Help us to be a community, a covenant people who knows your grace and mercy, who knows the, the selflessness, the forgiveness you've given to us at the cross. Whatever our current status is, Lord, today, help us to be faithful to you first and foremost, to be lovers of God through all that we do. Let us not be defined by our marital status but let us be defined by the gospel. Father, for those of us who are single, help us to be wise in how we approach our relationships and future marriage. Help us to be content, patient, and prayerful. Give us a heart to desire what you desire for us. Marriages that flourish, that give glory to you. For those of us who are married, I pray that you'll help us to be faithful spouses, to be protectors of one another, who respect each other, who are vulnerable and honest. I pray, Lord, for those who are hurting, those who are still holding on to past pain as well from relationships, I pray for healing for us. Your divine peace and love and security to fill our hearts. Father, we need your help. We need you to restore us from the hurt we hold on to. We know, Lord, that there is no greater love that will satisfy, that will be able to mend our broken hearts. So, Father, help us. May our hearts be drawn closer to you in faith as we find courage and strength to be your faithful people. So, Lord, we entrust our lives. May you help us to entrust our relationships as well and our marriages to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.